Hello, my name is Jacob Schondel. I am the Webmaster and Media and Technology Committee Chair for Shepherd of the Valley, and you are listening to the ShepherdCast, the weekly podcast from Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church in Sandyville, Ohio. Each week, we bring you our weekly sermon in audio form, as well as our weekly Bible readings. We thank you for joining us for worship, as even though you may not have been able to join us on Sunday morning, we are glad to have you with us through this podcast. Now, if you like what you hear, and you're able, and you live in the Northeast Ohio area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. You can learn more about our worship experience at sotvchurch.com slash worship. In case you're curious what the readings are for this Sunday, or you would like to follow along in your Bible, we will be taking a look at the readings listed in our show notes for today's episode. Also, when we read our readings, those come out of the NRSV translation of the Bible. So, without further ado, here's this week's readings read by our lay reader, followed by the Gospel and Sermon by the Rev. Scott J. Anderson. Grace will lead. 
beautiful. Um, Bill and I have a shared history with uh, something that <clears throat> I invited uh, into our church, I don't know how long ago, but it was a, a program called Angel Food Ministries. And uh, part of that was every Sunday, or I'm sorry, once a month on Saturday morning, we had to travel down to New Point Community Church and uh, get all of this food from an assembly line, kind of a delivery truck system, uh, and then bring it back here to the church. And we had to meet, uh, we had to be down there like four, something, some ungodly hour. Um, and this wasn't all that long ago, and recently Bill celebrated how many years? 89, okay? So this was probably at most, because Jensen was probably born within the last 10 years. So when I asked for a volunteer, and he volunteered, at, which would have been at least in the late 70s, um, that was a blessing. And he even did it when minus 14? 23 below, okay? <laughs> so just think. I don't even know if I would get out of bed for that. So, um, Bill, I am eternally grateful for that experience, and sometimes I wonder how crazy you actually are. <laughs> Our first lesson is uh, from Joshua chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt, and so that place is called Golga to this day. While the Israelites were camped in Golga, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. And the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on that day, they, <clears throat> they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our psalm is Psalm 32, which we'll read responsibly. <clears throat> Happy are those whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is put away. Happy are they to whom the Lord imputes no guilt and in whose spirit there is no guile. Well, I held my tongue, my bones withered away because of my groaning all day long. For your hand was heavy upon me day and night. My moisture was dried up as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and you did not conceal my guilt. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Then you forgave me the guilt of my sin. 
Therefore, all the faithful will make their prayers to you in time of trouble. When the great waters overflow, they shall not reach them. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like horse or mule, which have no understanding. You must be fitted with bit and bridle, or else they will not stray near you. Great are the tribulations of the wicked, but mercy embraces those who trust in the Lord. Be glad, you righteous, and rejoice in the Lord. Shout for joy, all who are true of heart. The second lesson is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. <clears throat> from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Max Holly uh, was the best manager I worked for when I was at NASA at the Johnson Space Center. And when I was working for Max in systems integration, uh, he gave me this advice about being an integration engineer. When eating an elephant, it is better to eat it piece by piece rather than eating it in one large bite. Uh, and so for our gospel reading this morning, I thought I'd do something a little bit different uh, and uh, would follow Max's advice by reading a portion of our gospel text a little at a time and uh, reflecting upon the meaning of those words. And so my hope is that we will have a better sense of what this familiar parable to us speaks to us today. But first, here is an abridged version of the parable, uh, and as they said in Sesame Street, brought to you today by the letter F. And I wish I could take credit for this writing. Feeling footloose and frisky, a feather-brained fellow forced his fond father to fork over the farthings and flew far to foreign fields and fabulously frittered his fortune with faithless friends. Fleeced by his fellows in folly and facing famine, he found himself a feed finder in a filthy farmyard. Fairly famishing, he fain would have filled his frame with foraged food from fodder fragments. Phooey! My father's flunkies fair far feather. The frazzled fugitive forlornly fumbled, frankly facing facts. Frustrated by failures and filled with foreboding, he fled forthwith to his family. Failing at his father's face, he forlornly fumbled, Father, I've flunked and fruitlessly forfeited family fellowship favor. 
The far-sighted father, forestalling further flinching, frantically flagged the flunkies. Fetch a fatling from the flock and fix a feast. The fugitive's fault-finding brother frowned on fickle forgiveness of former Falderall. But, the faithful father figured, filial fidelity is fine, but the fugitive is found. What forbids fervent festivity? The gospel of our Lord. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. It is easy to skip over the first two verses and go directly to our parable this morning, but the setting of this parable is important. Think about it. Tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear Jesus. And Jesus welcomed them and even ate with them. When we stop and think about this, shouldn't this be our very image of the church, a place where all of us sinners are welcomed and eat with Jesus in the divine sacrament of Holy Communion? Unfortunately, not everyone shares in this image of the church. Some will refuse to come and participate, finding some faults somewhere. And yet God's grace is not limited. We too are invited to be a part of all of this. The tragedy is, is that the only one stopping the Pharisees from coming and being a part of this feast with Jesus is themselves. Verse 3. So Jesus told them this parable. Now, there are two parables that precede our parable this morning. And all three parables have been given titles. Uh, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. Yet, Jesus never used titles for his parables. And so the question is, why should we? And more importantly, why should we assign negative titles to these parables that have such a positive message? After all, the main points of the parables are about the found sheep, the found coin, and the loving father. Also, all three parables end in great celebrations of joy. The first two parables end with words like this. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God when one sinner repents. And so today, do we stop and think about how much joy we give to God when we make a sincere repentance to him? Continuing on at verse 11, portion B. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. Drop dead, dad. That's exactly what the younger son is saying to his father because only when a father dies can a son receive the inheritance. And to add insult to injury, the youngest son is the one who speaks first, completely out of line and socially out of place. Still, the younger son is typically human. He cannot resist temptation. 
Remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus, how he resisted temptation in the wilderness. Jesus had chosen to worship the Lord your God and serve only him, forsaking riches, power. The younger son sought out to worship what is tangible, wealth. Unfortunately, the younger son is doomed to repeat the same mistake his ancestors made in the wilderness with the golden bull. And let's not overlook the beginning of the parable that we call the prodigal son. It begins, there was a man who had two sons. So this is not a story about one of the sons or even both of the sons, but rather it is about the father and his relationship with the two sons. So throughout the parable, we should be interested in what the father has to say and how he reacts to what takes place, especially with this very insulting, unthinkable, illegitimate request. The last portion of verse 12. So he divided his property between them. Surprise! Rather than exploding in anger, rather than lashing out at such an outlandish request, the father does an incredible thing. He grants this ridiculous request. What an amazing and unusual father. The father gives the younger son ultimate freedom and divides his very life with his sons. Continuing on at verse 13. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property and dissolute living. When he spent everything that he had, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. Sometimes we need to be careful in what we hear, especially being aware of the context in which we live. One of our favorite professors at Trinity Lutheran Seminary, Mark Allen Powell, wrote a book on preaching called, What Do They Hear? Bridging the Gap Between Pulpit and Pew. And Dr. Powell asked questions to three different groups of people. What happened to the younger son? And did the younger son do anything wrong? Now, please take uh, just a few seconds to answer these questions for yourself. And then you may be surprised as to what you actually remembered and what is actually in the parable. A group of Americans recalled from the parable that the younger son squandered his money, some even adding on prostitutes. That's not in the text at this point in the parable. And it's an assumption uh, by the older son later on. Yet we Americans in our capitalistic society somehow place an unhealthy emphasis on money. And that the sin of the younger son 
was wasting the money. Also note, we tend to be a little bit self-righteous. I know I can be that way. As we agree with the older brother about his younger brother. We do not really hear what the parable is saying to us at this point in the story. Second group that uh, was uh, questioned was a group of Russians. And they answered the question based on the severe famine that took place throughout that country. At that time, for them, the scarcity of food was very real and was the factor that drove the son to his decisions. For the Russians, the sin of the younger son was not in wasting his money, but rather leaving his father in the first place. The third group was a group of Ethiopians. The problem they heard was that he was in a foreign country and indeed, Yet no one gave the younger son anything. From their perspective, immigrants are sometimes prone to lose their money, especially in a strange society where they do not know how things work. To them, the people who refuse to give to the one in need and who is living in a foreign country were the ones responsible for their actions and who had committed the sin. Before we continue, let's not overlook another significant point at this junction in the parable. The desperation of the younger son. Think for a minute, from his perspective, how deplorable it would be for a nice kosher boy to work with pigs. Something that was just unthinkable and offensive to his faith community. Working with pigs would make him an outcast to his people. So we begin to see the depth of the broken relationships here from his father, from his religion, from his community. So what's a boy to do? We continue on at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. Last Sunday, we heard Jesus reminding us uh, in the 13th chapter of Luke, unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. And he gave us that parable of grace about the fig tree. And as you recall, the fig tree was given another chance to bear fruits of repentance. The younger son had come to his senses, seized his need to repent, and his need to be with his father. So in this parable, we are given a further glimpse to repentance, a coming to our senses that we need God. We need God's grace, that our life is far better with God than without him. The younger son got smart. Rather than bringing shame upon his father, his brothers, and his household by returning as a son, He decides to come back as a hired hand. The younger son is following the rabbinic formula for repentance. That is, 
confession of the sin, compensation for the sin committed, and sincerity in keeping the law that was previously broken. However, remember, this is a parable about the father, not the younger son. And at this point in the story, we must ask ourselves, how will the father respond to the son and to this request for forgiveness? Will the father accept this repentance? The end of verse 20. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. This is a very scandalous statement. The father runs. This is shocking and shameful especially for people hearing this parable for the very first time, because no self-respecting, wealthy, Middle Eastern man would gather up his garments and expose his legs. This would be an act of great shame. We have the image of a running God, God running in public. How humiliating. This image goes on in its development. The father kisses his son in public. A mother might do this, but a father never in that time and place. Richard Jensen referred to this as a costly demonstration of unexpected love. Through this costly demonstration of unexpected love, we begin to understand repentance better. Tita, in his commentary on the New Testament, observes that repentance is not a good work. Repentance is a gift from God for Israel and later for the Gentiles. God the Messiah and the Holy Spirit are of one will and one dominion in seeking the lost and leading sinners to repentance. Remember who is sitting and eating with Jesus at the beginning of this parable. But committed and compassionate as God's will is, it is not coercive. It always requires the hearing of faith. Thus, repentance is a miracle of God's tireless grace. Continuing on at verse 21. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. So like the sheep and the coin in the preceding parables, the son is found. Notice, the son does not mention his desire to be treated like a hired hand, as he had rehearsed earlier. But again, this parable is about the dad. 
We hear of the lavishness of the Father and the party-hearty attitude that follows with celebration. Again, we are reminded of those preceding verses from the two previous parables. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do we ever consider giving God joy whenever we ask for forgiveness? The emphasis here is on the father and not the son. The father is the one who found his son and who gives the gifts of grace to his son and who commences the celebration. Again, the parable is not about the prodigal son, but rather the prodigal father, if we consider the definition of prodigal. In the parable, it is the father who is extremely generous and lavish with his money, who is exceedingly or recklessly wasteful with the children. And so again, should we not stop here and be amazed at the grace of our God, our father, who gave his very best, his only son, to die on the cross and to rise from the dead so that we too should not perish but have eternal life. Our amazing grace-filled God desires mercy on our part, not sacrifice. The Father showers his Son with compassion, love, and mercy. However, the parable does not end here. Returning to verse 25. Now his elder son in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, You killed the fatted calf for him. Remember Jesus' lament over Jerusalem two weeks ago? Jesus lamented, how often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. In this parable, we have heard how strong God's desire is to gather all of us together, like a mother hen does with her chicks. This desire and compassion, again, is based upon the costly demonstration of unexpected love that we see in the cross. See how poignant Jesus' lament is in this parable. 
as the older brother refuses to be a part of this joyful celebration of a, one sinner who repents. Again, remember the context of this parable. The Pharisees were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. They were reacting just like the elder son. And maybe when we search our hearts, possibly like us. The parable confronts us about our sense of self-righteousness and stubbornness of heart. Those of us who merely desire human justice and morality will always find Jesus and his righteousness and his kingdom radically offensive. This is the scandal of the cross. The cross of Christ is offensive to some people because God does not play by our rules. Fortunately for us, God's grace is beyond our understanding. And if you remember those wonderful words from Isaiah last Sunday, that God's ways and thoughts are not our ways and thoughts and are much more uh, above us. Keeping that in mind, we continue at verse 31. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. Remember. This is a story about a man who had two sons, who loved two sons, who went out to two sons, was generous to two sons. Perhaps it is because of the competitive nature of our society that we think that there should be a winner and that there always should be a loser. I remember when ties were actually acceptable at the end of regulation play in football and in hockey. The embrace of the younger son did not mean the rejection of the older. The love of tax collectors and sinners does not at all negate the love to the Pharisees and the scribes. Such is the wideness of God's love and grace. Yet we find it difficult not to be offended by God's grace toward another, especially if we have serious questions about the person's conduct and character. The joyous freedom of God simply being God, to show his mercy on the sinner, to seek the lost, to show grace to love unconditionally. God surprises all religious systems and redefines all standards of righteousness by such mercy and grace. And that's the end of the parable. What happens next? The parable is deliberately open-ended. We are confronted to ask questions about ourselves. How do we respond to the Father's invitation? 
Tax collectors and sinners accepted Jesus' invitation, were welcomed by Jesus, even ate with him. The scribes and Pharisees in their self-righteousness and stubbornness continue this story by killing Jesus. What do we do with this amazing grace and with this Jesus? You just heard a very special sermon from Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church. We thank you for listening to the Shepherd Cast this week. If you are listening in the Northeast Ohio area, we invite you to join us for worship if you are able. Our services are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. You can learn more about our worship environment at our church by visiting sotvchurch.com worship. We are a church in service. If you wish to support our podcast, we hope you will support us by supporting our outreach. Whether the Spirit moves you to volunteer with one of our outreach programs, or you choose to contribute to the church in another way. One way you can support our church is through the Amazon Smile program, where the nonprofit of your choice can receive 0.5% of the purchase price of products sold while costing you nothing extra. You can get started by going to smile.amazon.com and searching for Shepherd of the Valley Evangelical Lutheran Church. Of course, we encourage you to keep up with our church at our website at sotvchurch.com. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at sotvsandyville. We will be back with another message next week. Tune in then. Until then, we thank you for listening, and God bless.